Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pass First podcast. I'm Hugh. I'm here with Max. Rest in peace, Harrison Barnes playoff beard. The Kings never made it to 500. I hope that thing grows long and powerful. He'll look like a, a real sensei by the end of this. And David? Uh, justice for the undefeated Suns, please. Please. The bubble has ended. The playoffs are set to begin. We got a game today squaring off the playing game at least game one, um, between the Portland Trailblazers and the Memphis Grizzlies. uh, Portland secured the eight seed. Memphis has the nine. And then we're right into it. The season's going to finish, and the playoffs are going to start, and we're going to find a champion, whether they have an asterisk on them or not. How are you guys feeling about the playoffs coming up? I don't think there's too much of an asterisk. Yeah. Unless unless you get, like, unless... I mean, people say that the Raptors had an asterisk because of injuries and stuff. If anything, this one will be even more legitimate because at least the top teams, everyone's there. I think it definitely depends on who wins, whether they try to put an asterisk on it or who makes the finals. Well, yeah, if the Magic make the finals, there's an asterisk on it. But, like, I don't see that happening. I think throughout the bubble, with the exception of a few teams, pretty much everyone that we thought was going to do well did well. And everyone who didn't, didn't. Mm-hmm. Um Again, good job, Suns, uh, but too little too late. Everyone else kind of went as expected. Yeah. And in that way, I think there shouldn't be too much debate over like, oh, well, you know, this person got robbed because of the new format. And or like, I looked into it out in the total number of games. It was only cut off by 10. Each mm-hmm. team played 72 games. So it's not that big of a deal in terms of how much they lost. Um but the playoffs are the playoffs, and I'm excited to get going. I think it'll be legitimate. I, I don't put an asterisk on it, but I will say I have a gripe with the fact that they lost 10 games, and they tried to the NBA tried to fix it with this little play-in tournament system, and yet they, they have two teams that are tied here, the Grizzlies and the Suns, and yet the Grizzlies go in and get to play in the playoff and the Suns don't. It seems like the system kind of backfired because you have these teams that are basically equal and one of them just gets thrown out because of the lack of games. Um, Who knows if the Suns would have pushed ahead or fallen behind? We don't know. I think they should have made it so any teams within four games or so had a chance to play in the play-in rather than it just being the nine seed. But generally speaking, they had a, a decent system to get it fixed. Not perfect, but... You know, could have been worse. Well, I mean, the thing with the Suns, and David, I don't know if you saw this too, but um, I think it was Shaq that said, like, you know, if you wanted to complain about having the same record but not getting in, you should have done better in the first half of the season. And then right. you wouldn't have had that problem in the first place. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, no, I feel like um, I feel like uh, th- this season could be treated like a lockout season where, yeah, you know, you can... You can. It's a lot different in terms of making the playoffs. There aren't as many games, and obviously, some teams had to be cut in terms of their chances. But I still think like this championship is still going to be just as valid as any other one. I mean, if anything, the I feel like the level of play is going to be a lot. You know, I, I talked about this a while when you know when the bubble was beginning. I feel like it's going to be a very, very intense playoff series. It'll be very interesting without the home court element. Because that is, you know, that that is why people play for higher seeds. You know, like how much different is it going to be? You know, playing a home game versus an away game in these playoffs—that's um, to be seen. But 
I definitely, I don't know. I don't think there should be an asterisk. I feel like this is like, you know, like I said, just like you can consider it like a, like a lockout season and then, you know, it just happened to be that there were no fans showed up for the playoffs this year. I said back before the bubble started when they were just talking about perhaps doing an Orlando bubble that the biggest team impacted was going to be the Clippers because if they have the battle for LA and they have this seven-game series with the Lakers, they were going to be an away team for all seven games. The Lakers fans were going to dominate that Staples Center every single game. So this is big for them. This is a big chance for them to play in a neutral court rather than getting kind of, you know, having that hostile environment for a whole series. So this is a Hugh. We know we know you have the that the that bet on the Lakers. I mean, on the Clippers. So <laughs> you're hoping you're hoping you think will pay out. Clippers Bucks parlay, baby. Let's see it. Let's see it. Wait, but, it's a parlay. Yeah, you both have to make it. Oh, oh, okay. I thought it was one bet that that was the matchup. Yeah, well, it is, it is. But uh, most places, if you were to do it like that, it would be a parlay. Oh, okay. So you said Clippers make the final, parlayed with the Bucks making the final. Yeah. And for our viewers out there, how much did you put on this? It wasn't that much. We we don't discuss numbers here. All right. <laughs> so, so that if it doesn't work out, people don't know how big of a hole you have in your account. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Well, one unit. We I put one unit on it. After I this. put one yeah. unit on it. It's all good. But uh, all right. other news around the NBA, there have been some front office changes, people making some moves, starting with the – which one was the first? Chicago was the first. But that was a Chicago came coach. up first. So Chicago yeah. made a coaching change. What are you? This what are you guys' did. thoughts there? Long-awaited. Um Bulls fans were celebrating around the globe as uh, Jim Boylan was fired the other day. Um, he had the second lowest um, win percentage in Bulls history with a minimum of 100 games. And he went 22-43 and 43 with what many people think are a pretty talented team. You have Levine, Markinen, Wendell Carter, Otto Porter... Um, Kobe White, Sadoransky, Thaddeus Young. Like it looked like a play. It looked they look more like a playoff team than on paper than maybe a Magic or the Nets right now. And they were pretty brutal. And I don't know if you guys remember when he first took over, there were basically like a mutiny against him because of how much he was pushing them and all that kind of stuff. Um, there was a lot of drama early on, and. They just didn't like playing for the guy. They said he was just a jerk, and he was working this mediocre team like they were, I don't know, like they were the, the 96 Bulls. And yeah. you can't really do that with a young team that while you're focusing on, you should be focusing on development and focusing on the things that, you know, they're good at and working towards their skill set, not being like, oh, Laurie Markkinen, you're, you know, you only had 14 points this game, 500 push-ups. You know, that's mm -hmm. kind of like the vibe that he gave off. And, I mean, it, there's different coaching styles that work, but it's kind of been proven that that doesn't work in the NBA. Like, what was the last successful NBA coach that you thought was, like, a total hard of? They really don't exist. Steve Probably Kerr's Tibbs. a super... Yeah, Tibbs, I guess. But, like, even I mean... he didn't have too much success. Steve Kerr's a nice guy. Popovich is a nice guy. Pop's uh, tough Phil sometimes. was a nice guy. Pop, Pop will chew you out if you do, you know, if you do something stupid, I'll tell you that. Like, you know, he's he'll call a timeout five seconds after the last one to be like, guys, what's wrong with you? Like, 
get your acts yeah. together. So he's he's tougher than some of the others, I'd say. I don't yeah, I don't know what he's like, like in practice. But yeah, but at the end of the day, people want to play for him. Mm-hmm. You know, because they yeah. acknowledge his greatness. Boylan was coaching like he's been doing it for seventy years, and he's like an all-time great. Yeah. He's not, and yeah. so Karnaschovas, um, who's the new uh, VP of basketball operations, they grabbed him from the Nuggets after um, uh, Gar Saxton, right? That's his name, Paxton. Gar, yeah, those guys. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they're basically. Throughout the summer, they've changed their entire front office, which I think is great news for them. Yeah, um, no, I think I think that this is like been huge. This gives like Knicks fans something to look forward to, maybe because <clears throat> like they got rid of they got rid of Garpax, fired the head coach, and now what's left is a bunch of young talent and an open coaching position. With, you know, like, I mean, like you said, they're a very good, like, I, I would consider them, like, if, if someone like Nate McMillan could come in to Chicago and do what he did to the Pacers, to them, like, I feel like they're definitely, like, a sum of their parts team, at least for now. Um, they could definitely, you know, make, like, uh, six or seven seed next season. Like, I don't feel like there's too much competition around there, and I feel like, They'll be in a much better spot this upcoming year now that Boylan's gone. What a lot of people were hoping for was that they would grab Kenny Atkinson, Hugh, who was yeah. a big guy with the Nets a few years ago and led a, a down-and-out Brooklyn team back into the playoffs in one year, made D'Angelo Russell an all-star. Mm-hmm. They're hoping that he could do something similar with a character like Zach Levine. You'll see his name floated for every coaching job for the next, you know, until he gets hired because the media loves that guy for some reason. I don't know how he built those relationships, but, like, it was like a public, you know, outcry when he got fired by every media member. So I definitely think he'll, you'll hear his name often until, until he gets a job. Yeah, and that net, that net system is still working kind of without him. Jock Vaughn took over, and you saw the Nets in the yeah. bubble. They were still playing really well, and Jock Vaughn, is a, he's been around for a little while too. Uh, so you would think that, you would hope at least, that the Bulls would go after someone with a little more prestige and experience. And uh, it looks like that's where this front office is going, so... Good day for Bulls fans. Yeah. Let's throw it to the West Coast, where the Kings have relieved their general manager, Vlade Divac, Divac? Oh, of duties. Divac, Divac, yeah. yeah. Max, you were going through a little bit of his history of troublesome choices. You want to share some of those? Sure, sure. So uh, the, uh, the first trade that uh, Vlade Divac pulled off when he first got to Sacramento was he... He traded Nick Stauskas, Jason Thompson, and Carl Landry to the Sixers and two draft picks and their first-round pick. And they basically got... It was a salary dump. And what they got out of it was one year of Rajon Rondo. Nice. In In that amount of time, they also signed players like George Hill, Zach Randolph, Dwayne Dedman, and Trevor Ariza. Veterans that they gave a bunch of money to try to bring in a winning culture didn't work. Divac is st- still the general manager after all that. He drafts De'Aaron Fox number five overall, and that works out. But he also selected in the lottery Willie Cauley Stein, Georgios Papayanis, 
Malachi Richardson, Scal Abissier, Justin Jackson, and Harry Giles. Not you could idea. argue that Giles is the only one in that that's kind of worked out, and he's a backup center. You know? Yeah, I There's look at... Three guys on the list that aren't even in the league right now. The final thing that made me kind of think he needed to be fired immediately was when he took Bagley in the draft where they had the second pick. Trey Young was, was in that draft. That was the next one, yeah. Yeah, Luca was in that draft. There were so many better options for him, and he ends up with the second pick and probably the top, one of the worst players, maybe the worst out of the top ten taken. Yeah, so they take him mostly because of fit. They think they had gotten rid of DeMarcus Cousins, mm -hmm. and they wanted a big for man, healed. which is usually not the strategy when you're that high up in the draft. You know, you, you draft for talent. Yes. They... Um, yeah, so the other big thing against him, not only did he not take Luca, apparently there was some turmoil between Luca's father and Vlade. They had stuff going all the way back to like the Yugoslavian years. <laughs> really? There was like some sort of, yeah, like civil war beef between them. And wow. so that was one of the reasons <clears throat> he didn't take him. And um, also under Vlade, Dave Yeager, who was a very successful coach for them last year, um, they were three games under 500 and were one away from the playoffs. And Dave Yeager had a conflict with the front office and left. And they had to settle for Luke Walton. And with basically the same roster this year, they got incrementally worse. Nice. And that was kind of the last straw. And so he passed on Luca, failed in the draft multiple times outside of De'Aaron Fox. Traded away young players and draft picks for veterans that never wanted to be there. And he is no longer in the front office of an NBA team. He's been replaced temporarily by Joe Dumars. Yes. Who built a very successful Detroit dynasty for a few for a while and knows how to kind of pick up a team. We don't know if he's going to be like if he's keeping that role, but for now, Dumars does know what he's doing, and it might also be a good day for Kings fans. Oh, we just got breaking news. Breaking on news. The, on the side of coaching, New Orleans has dismissed coach Alvin Gentry. Wow. I wow. didn't see that coming. From I Woj. thought, I mean, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll go first here. When he survived Davis leaving and them firing their general manager i kind of figured they really liked him but they have um the what's his griffin david griffin yeah, so griffin. clearly he did not share that opinion as the new general manager and the results speak for themselves i picked the pelicans to be the team to go and make it into this play in tournament and they were a huge disappointment I wonder who had to do with those Zion minutes being diminished, whether it was Gentry or Griffin. Oh, and you also have to look at the development of someone like Lonzo Ball, who they really said were like, give this guy the keys, and Gentry was pretty adamant towards giving it instead to someone like Drew Holiday and, you know, a J.J. Redick playing alongside him instead. They were playing older guys in the hopes of a playoff push, and as a result, they've kind of compromised some of the development of their younger players. They are playing Derek Favors instead of Jackson Hayes. Stuff like that. And I think 
if they had made the playoffs, it would have been a different story because it's like, oh, we did have the talent to make the playoffs good for you, Alvin. But Mm -hmm. now that they didn't, it's like, all right, so we just wasted a year playing these veterans instead of our young guys, with the exception of someone like Ingram and, uh, you know, yeah, o- overall, I'm surprised too, though. Yeah, overall, I mean, it was a pretty successful year. Ingram's been phenomenal, and, you know, they 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 did the right things to make sure Zion would be healthy for next year. Next year looks really promising. I think it might just be a thing where Griffin may not have liked this guy from the get-go and just was waiting for the right opportunity to put in his own guy. General managers usually like to put in their own guys for these type of positions, the guys that they feel, you know, confident in. So I, I yeah. doubt it was less to do – I don't think it was that much to do with Gentry. I think it was, you know, Griffin could choose any coach he wants in the you know, who's available. Why is he going to stick with the one guy he happened to already have there? Yeah, yeah, and Griffin is a really respected GM. He helped put together those Cavs teams mm-hmm. um, and basically left as soon as LeBron did, <laughs> which was smart, and now he gets to rebuild again with Zion. And yeah. that – starts with gentry who knows if he goes back to like someone like tyron lou um, maybe that would to coach because they have a connection there and everyone knows that he's a huge players coach if it's lou i'd be surprised i think lou works a lot better with someone like lebron lou's an assistant with was it is it the clippers yeah him yeah and sam cassell are the assistants so i'd be surprised just because the pelicans are kind of the opposite of those cavaliers where they don't have a guy a big star that's already kind of a coach they have a bunch of young guys really looking for a coach to pull them together so yeah i wonder how that'll turn out that's that's interesting though Um, yeah no talk about like perfect timing we're already talking about front office moving like (laughs) yeah it is 12 25 eastern standard time on a saturday and we've had three front office uh changes in 24 hours or wow. from all these non-playoff teams. Mm-hmm. Who said the bubble wasn't going to be exciting? I don't no think one. anyone did. <laughs> anyone it's did. been it's been phenomenal. People thought it wasn't going to work and then that it, and then it did and they're just like, "Oh, this is great." Other than the games yesterday. The games yesterday were all terrible because that's kind of how the end of the regular season goes. Yeah. Um we can recap it a little bit from the week. Um Blazers are in and the Grizzlies are in. The Grizzlies have looked dead on arrival for the whole postseason. They only got in because the Bucks rested everyone. They they won. And they had a head start. They had a good pre-bubble season. Exactly, and right. they they which which they also had an easy pre-bubble season because they were scheduled to have the hardest remaining schedule after the All Star break because of having such an easy schedule before that. Um, so it definitely helped them that the season got canceled and all of this or get got screwed up um the grizzlies won one game outside of that i think they obliterated the thunder if i remember correctly and i don't like their odds against the trailblazers who dame time has been phenomenal scoring at he i think he's averaged like 30 points or so in the bubble Somewhere he's, I think he's above that. Yeah, yeah. he passed. Um, I believe he's above T.J. Warren and Devin Booker, mm-hmm. who are kind of the other bubble sweethearts. Uh-huh. So how the play-in works is 
the eight-seeded Trailblazers play the nine-seeded Grizzlies. If the Grizzlies win, they play one more time. If the Grizzlies win again, the Grizzlies get that eight spot. If the Trailblazers win either the first or the second game, they get the eight spot, and then the playoffs begin. I don't. Woj just said on another note. Woj just said two names expected in the Pelican search are Tyron Lue and Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd. He he was last seen on the Bucks, and then he was assistant coaching with someone, right? He's an assistant coach with the Lakers. With the Lakers, that's right. So, that's it. Seems that's the protocol now. Is if you lose your job as a head coach, just go rehab your image as an assistant on a really successful team. Yeah, makes sense. Um, like that's that's how it works. Like the Buck, the the Grizzlies coach Taylor Jenkins is a Bucks guy. Yeah. Um, and it, so it works both ways. If you suck as a bad team's coach, you go to a good team to be an assistant. If you're really good as an assistant on a good team, you go and coach a shit team and you see how it works. You know where I think they should look more? It seems like they're getting further and further away from it. But I always think looking to college isn't a bad idea. I don't think college success directly translates into professional success. But you look at someone like Brad Stevens, where he knows how to retool a roster to fit whatever kind of talent he has and and the pelicans are basically a college team right now. <laughs> yeah yeah really it, yeah, there's a lot of development i think college coaches need to be good at development to be successful they need to be good at making the best out of whatever pieces you end up recruiting and then i also think they going into the tournament playing if you look at the conferences in college the big east plays completely differently than the sec who plays completely differently than the ACC. There's different kind of popular styles that are in those conferences. And once you hit the tournament, the most successful teams are the ones who can game plan against all these different styles. That's why usually the juggernauts, you know, Duke's not winning every year because it's more. there's more to it than that. So I think getting a college coach who can do all those things and adapt with the constantly evolving styles of the NBA is important. I think they've been scared away from that recently because of the John Beeline experiment in, in yeah. Cleveland. He was uh, so but old. He was, he was too old, you yeah. know? One that I've heard that's been thrown around that I think is a great idea is Ed Cooley from Providence. Um, okay, I know him. He, he's a really cool coach, and I've met him, actually, and he's a very, very personable guy, and players apparently love him. So he's he's a little bit older than Brad Stevens, but he's not... Jim, John Beeline old. Yeah. Uh, so I think if you find a good little, I think a Brad Stevens is kind of a, like, I I think that's kind of a once in a generation sort of thing. Like I don't think you can find a young college coach that easily. I think most of them. But then there's also like Bayheim up at Syracuse. There's John Beeline in Michigan. I don't think Coach K or Roy Williams are going to be going to the NBA anytime soon. Um, so they'll have to find someone kind of in the middle there. Uh, yeah. Who's the Villanova guy? Jay Wright. I Jay don't think Wright. He's going anywhere. Yeah. There's a lot of college coaches that are deeply ingrained. Like I think Mark Few would make an incredible NBA coach. He's the longtime coach of Gonzaga, but he's never yeah. going to leave Gonzaga. Like he built that program. He owns that. He's probably the most, like the longest tenured higher up in that whole school. And he's not old either. No, right. he well, he's in his fifties, but yeah, not old for head coaching standards. I'd say he's been yeah, there yeah, forever. I can't speak to any of that. I have no idea who college coaches are. So, do you know who your college coach is at Northeastern? No idea, actually. All right, 
See, <laughs> our our new coach is Brett Nelson. He was a um, he was a Florida player in the early two thousands under Billy Donovan when they made their deep tournament runs, and uh, he went overseas and played for a while, and then was an assistant in at Marshall where he helped develop uh, Hassan Whiteside, and then he was at Marquette for the last few years. And now he's at Holy Cross, conveniently has the same birthday and is the exact same age as Brad Stevens. There you go. So, I I mean, they're very rare to find. And we had a terrible season last year at Holy Cross. Not a, It's not all his fault. It, we had like seven healthy players by the end of the season. It was bad, but, like historically bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I it's interesting, like what qualifications you would want in a college coach. We now know that Brad Stevens is kind of the magical formula and that John Beeline, just because he was really good in college, doesn't mean he translates to the NBA. I think even like Andre Drummond and some of those guys were saying, like, he's coaching us like a college team, and we hate that. And Stevens still has some to be proven. I think there's certain coaches are great at certain parts of the game, some coaches are just great at development. Some coaches are great. Like Doc Rivers, I think, was phenomenal at getting those young, not young, but the Clippers when they made the playoffs that year, and he did a lot with a little. Some coaches are great at doing a lot with a little. Some are great at maximizing stars. Like Popovich is great at taking stars and putting them in the positions they need to succeed. Phil Jackson's another one. Some are great at all of it. So... Brad Stevens, we've seen that he's good at pretty much every part. We're just, it's that final step. And he, not that he has proven that he's not good at it, but he also hasn't yet, he's yet to prove that he can get over that hump. So, yeah, he's not, the, um, I mean, people were ready to call him the best, people were calling him the best coach in the league two, three years ago. And they were definitely too quick to do that, but We'll yeah, see. but he's definitely not in danger of losing his job either because he just got an extension the other day as oh, well. Oh, yeah, he's yeah, he's he's a great coach. I his he's good at almost everything. He just needs to prove the rest, which will come in time. You know, Ainge yeah. is trying to get him the pieces he needs. Yeah. So, so now without the the uh, with all these non-playoff teams kind of retooling already. Should we do a quick overview of some of these playoff matchups that we have for the first round? Yes. Up? Let's start with the Western Conference. Matchup number one, Lakers versus um, what do you, Trailblazers or Grizzlies. Who do the Lakers want to play in this matchup? And why is it obviously the Grizzlies? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah, because I'm pretty sure I don't know what the Portland Lakers series is between, uh, uh, but throughout the regular season. But I'm pretty sure Portland knocked a couple games off the Lakers, um, which I believe the. And then on the converse side of that, that the the Grizzlies have been blown out by the Lakers a couple times too. We talked about it last show. The guards. It's it's this weird mismatch where the Lakers easily win the forward matchup and the trailblazers easily win the guard matchup so usually historically in the playoffs that means the forwards team wins i mean you look at davis sweeping the blazers but then you it's you'd be very hard pressed to find finals winning teams that didn't have a their best player or at least an elite all-star that was a forward so i yeah i think the the blazers 
I mean, I mean, honestly, it's too soon for the Grizzlies. Like, good for them for exceeding expectations, but it's not their time yet. Damian Lillard is very much in his prime right now, and I think their playing style is enough to take a game or two off of the Lakers, and that's all that we as Celtics fans and fans of any team except the Lakers, basically, um, it's all we want is that they get a tougher time in the first round, whereas historically LeBron has really cruised through the first round. So Based on- I think someone like Lillard and this team that just throws up a bunch of points and they're like, we dare you to try to outscore us. Because, I mean, you you can try. We'll put Carmelo on you. <laughs> um, and, and Hassan Whiteside will be in the paint. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like they, there's a lot of... With, with, the, with LeBron as an outlier, the Blazers and the, and the Lakers roster as currently constructed are pretty even. And then LeBron's just that extra bump on top of it. So, I think another big difference is defense, where the Lakers have played very, very good defense this season, surprisingly so. I think it's all because of Davis really tying that together in the front court. The Trailblazers, I mean, I'll list off. Here's their bubble games. They gave up 128 to the Celtics, 102 to the Rockets. That was probably their best defensive performance, but the Rockets have a tendency to shoot themselves out of games. Uh, 115 to the Nuggets, 122 to the Clippers, 121 to the 76ers, 131 to the Mavericks, and 133 to the Nets. That's horrendous. (laughs) 133 to the Nets. I don't know if it was fatigue of uh, this team really struggling to get into the playoffs, but I mean, we were we were all watching that game, and it was it was not pretty. How guys like I mean, Karis Levert is a good player, but like from then on, it's like you cannot get torched by Timothy Luwawu Cabrero <laughs> and expect to take a game off the Lakers in the playoffs. There was also so, one more bubble game I missed. They draw they gave up 135 to Memphis in overtime. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's a pretty decent preview of what could come. That game was close, but it, it felt like it was the Blazers getting their legs. So I don't imagine the next one to be that close. The other thing is the 76ers game and Bede went out in that game and I don't think Simmons played at all. So they gave up 121 to a team that's already known for having a bad offense missing their two best players. Yeah. It, it's been strange seeing... See, like, a lot of these games, it's hard to count how much you want to... You know, how much you want to weigh it, because once teams were getting locked into their playoff positions with, like, two or three games left, they started resting people. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of those are hard to gauge... But like the Nets the other night had, I mean, they don't really have anyone else. So they were guns a blazing with Joe Harris and Jared Allen and those guys. So, I mean, there's been a lot of, it's, it's hard to judge, but you just look at them on paper. And I mean, you, when you're face, when you're looking against them on your schedule, I think you fear the Blazers more than you fear the Grizzlies. Let's move on to Clippers Mavericks. This series should be great. I'm excited for this one. I don't see the Mavericks winning it or getting it to seven, but I want to see Luka in the playoffs, and I want to see Porzingis in the playoffs. Neither of them have ever played in the playoffs, and they're going up against some seasoned veterans. 
Dude, yeah, this will be big. David, what do you think about the the Clippers Mavericks series? How how many games do you think it'll go? I think um, I think this will definitely be an interesting test for the Clippers because I've been saying for a while that I don't think that like I haven't seen too much cohesiveness and consistency from their output, much like other teams like Denver and you know the Lakers. I feel like this will be. I see this going one of two ways. If the Clippers, you know, if if everything I've thought about the Clippers is wrong and they handle their business, I think they can win in five, but I don't think that will be the case. I could see this going maybe even six or seven just because the Mavericks have been a very good team at beating better teams than themselves. Like, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know they've had a lot of victories against upper-seeded teams, and that's kind of what separated them from you know, than the uh, than the Grizzlies or other teams kind of floating around that seven eight spot. Yeah, they definitely play up to their competition and make every game at least close. They had the top offense in the league, so they have the that Mavericks ability. Game? Yeah, I believe so. Interesting. I mean, I could see it. They have a lot of offensive minded players, and their defensive minded players are pretty questionable. Like you saw. Michael Kidd Gilchrist get put on the floor by one pump fake from Devin Booker the other day. And you're like, oh, this is their defensive stopper? That's not a good sign. Yeah. I think uh, also, uh, Pat Bev's in the, the bubble, right? I, I want to see what it would look like. If I mean, will he be guarding Doncic? Like, who? Like, will he be guarding Seth Curry? I'm more curious. Yeah. the It says... I. The Mavericks had the best offensive efficiency, the highest offensive rating in the history of the NBA this season. Really? Yep, right above the 2018-19 Warriors. That's crazy. Yeah, that's Luka. I did not know that. That's the Luka effect. They were Luka and Porzingis has been great too. Yeah. He was averaging like 30 points a game in the bubble. I know, I know. Porzingis has actually turned around for, for some instances. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all, believe me, like, as much as it sounds like I hate the guy, like, I want him to succeed. I just, you know, I definitely think, like, the time off and the rest has helped him, like, you know, he's been coming back from his, what was it, Achilles injury? Or knee injury? Yeah, it something was, like that. Yeah, some, yeah. He, I mean, he's been slowly making his way back ever since, you know, that. And I feel like now we're kind of getting back to what he was like in New York, you know, or at least more more of a consistent and healthy player. Like, he's not – he doesn't look – he looks a lot more solid on the court. He doesn't seem like he's going to be as injury prone. Um, yeah, no, I'm like I'm, – I'm very excited. I definitely think this is probably going to be one of the more interesting first-round matchups that we have especially out west, because I feel like a lot of them might be um, like four or five games. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of weird matchups for both sides, because with the Mavs, it's like, I guess it's like Finney Smith and Luka. It's like, I, I'm assuming they would split um, Kawhi and Paul George. And then from there, I don't see anyone on the Clippers guarding Porzingis. Uh so it'll be interesting to see, you know, who exposes those matchups because the Mavericks are very, they're very depleted on the wings and they have really good bigs and really good guards. And the Clippers are basically the opposite. They're all wings. Yeah. Well, a lot of weird mismatches in these first couple, which is nice. It's not just one team being way better than the other, which we'll get to in the East. Hmm. 
let's continue on. Um, the next matchup is one that is kind of, it's honestly probably the least interesting for me, and that's Denver versus Utah. Agreed. I think the, my problem with those is that the ceilings of those teams, I don't see either of them getting out of the second round, so it's kind of inconsequential, but Denver has a chance. I personally, I'm, I'm out on them making it any further than the second round, but Max, you're probably more, more suited. Give us Denver's case for maybe making a run this playoffs. I, assuming they're healthy, mm-hmm. they, and Mike, so the addition of Michael Porter Jr. revolutionizes their rotation. You know, if he's their number three that they've been looking for, and they can keep guys like Gary Harris and Will Barton and Jeremy Grant, they're like one of the deepest teams in the league automatically. So their starters would be Murray, Harris, or Barton, and then Porter Jr., Millsap, and Jokic, one of the best starting fives in the league. And then their bench would be Morris and then either Harris or Barton, uh, Torrey Craig, uh, Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumley, that team could probably beat the Nets right now. <laughs> so like, uh, I don't know. I, I just really like their construction. I don't think there's any weaknesses in that. You know, they're very a one, two, three, four, five positional basketball, and with that, there isn't much weakness there. They're just solid at everything, and if Jokic can really come forth in the playoffs, if Porter Jr. is what we think we are, he is, and if Murray hits that next level of becoming kind of um, the all-star potential a lot of people think he has, I don't see why they can't be a legitimate two or three or contender in the West, if not this year, but really soon, and maybe they can unlock it this year. This is another team that has been awful at defense in the bubble. They've been scored on no problem, and I don't actually know why. I'm not sure what happened because they weren't horrible at it before, but, I mean, again, I'll read it through. Heat dropped 125 on them. Then the Thunder put 113 in overtime. Not not too bad. Spurs put 126. Blazers put 125. Jazz put 132. That last time the Jazz and Nuggets played, it went to double overtime, by the way. So, I it was... Yeah, the Nuggets the Nuggets came through at the very end because of Jamal Murray. But uh Donovan Mitchell yeah. battled them for a while. Uh the Lakers put one twenty four on them, the Clippers put one twenty four on them, the Raptors put one seventeen on them. But the, that was the last game, so who knows how hard they were trying. It seems like teams have been scoring on at will on them, which makes me think this series, even though I see a clear talent deficit, um, especially with Bogdanovich out, I see them being able to make up for the talent deficit with having better defense than the Nuggets and basically Donovan Mitchell just trying to pull a Damian Lillard and just score. It's, it's, that's what it's going to come down to, shutting them down and then getting enough scoring out of Mitchell. I, I it has to be. I don't know if he can do it, though. Yeah, I see a possible upset, but I'd say like 85% chance the Nuggets win this series. Dave, are you the same? Yeah, I think like it'll be interesting to see Gobert and Jokic go at it, but I feel I feel like Utah as like they've you know they're obviously missing Bogdanovich, um, you know Conley. I don't know if that's been a very good fit for them alongside Mitchell. So hey, we uh, mentioned I, Mike Conley I feel the like punch. their offense is not going to be able to. Hmm? 
we went like three he straight games talking about the Jazz and never mentioned Conley once. Yeah. Yeah, no, He's here. it's crazy. Like, I really, I really don't even, you know, I forgot he was on that team. Like, it's crazy to think about. Like, he was such a prolific scorer. Like, for at least, you know, number two option in Memphis. Um, now, I don't, I don't ever hear from him that much. And I feel like, I feel like definitely even, even Mitchell to some extent, I haven't heard too much from. Um, but I feel like, yeah, I definitely feel like this will be like a, this will be a five game series. There'll be like a couple, there'll be like the first blowout in either game one or two. And then, you know, they'll one win one game on the road and then close up at home for the Nuggets. Sounds probably four or five. It's funny. They did say like Conley. I remember when that trade happened, it was like, this is them taking the leap to being real contenders. And it kind of did the opposite. He instantly got worse. Yeah. Now, the last matchup in the West is, in my opinion, the best matchup, and that is the kind of disappointing, kind of middling Houston Rockets with Russell Westbrook against the shockingly good Oklahoma City Thunder with Chris Paul. Westbrook's out. He had a quadriceps injury, strained quadriceps, so he's going to miss the first couple games, if not the series, and that... I think would be the thing that could swing the series. David, what do you think about that series? Yeah, I think, um, I really do think just if, like, every Rockets team seems to come down, especially with uh, Mike D'Antoni's system, whether they can shoot the ball well, and if no one can shoot the ball on any given night, which the Rockets have had a couple nights of that, um, then they're going to be in deep trouble. But I feel like they've been on a pretty good role. I mean, I don't know what their record is in the bubble. I feel like they've won more games than they lost. Um, they've kind of petered out in terms of exciting, you know, excitement. Um, you know, uh, I feel like, though, the combination star power of Westbrook, Westbrook and Harden, I feel like that's going to be something to watch, especially because, you know, like you double Harden, but now you leave Westbrook and a bunch of shooters open. Mm-hmm. So... Like I said, it all comes down to whether that offense can work, whether those two, you know, two guys just chilling in the corner can make their threes, um, and whether Westbrook can be a good facilitator. No, um, I, I, I definitely think that the Rockets. I mean, as much like I do, I do really like this Thunder team. I really, really like. I like the fact that Chris Paul has like in the twilight of his career just kind of kept kept hope alive in Oklahoma City when. You know, their entire, you know, when, when Paul George left and when Westbrook left, like, I, I'm, like, really, really happy that they have this good team, as well as a bunch of picks. Like, people forget how much they got from Paul George. Yeah. And, and so from, and I, from the Rockets. Yeah, and from the Rockets, too. So, like, there's going to be set up to be good for a while. And I just, re- like, this is almost like, this feels like the, um, this almost feels like a, like a, like a no... Like, I, th- I feel like what's so great about this team is that there's no expectations. Like, absolutely no expectations. Just play great basketball. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, um, obviously the matchup between uh, CP3 and Harden and Westbrook, that point guard or shooting guard matchup is going to be really, really uh, fun to watch, especially because most of them are former teammates. Um, but I think that... Uh, I think I'm going to take the, the Rockets in this just because they have a little bit 
more depth to them in terms of what they are good at. Obviously, the Thunder have Gallo and Steven Adams, but I feel like outside of, you know, obviously Shea Gilders, Shea Gilders Alexander, like, I feel like outside of that crew, they don't really have too much, like, proven scores or at least proven reliability like you have with Eric Gordon, with a P.J. Tucker, with a Robert Covington. Like, I feel like those guys are such great pieces that I feel like the sum of, like, if, like I said, if the Rockets score, they win this, I think, in maybe five, six games. But if, if not, I say maybe it's a 50-50 toss-up in seven. So if Westbrook's not playing and you have to bet on a team, who do you take? Is uh, sorry? Is, did I, I? I must mess up something. Is Westbrook out? He's out for the first couple games, maybe the whole series. Ooh, um, that does change things. I I think that's going to definitely make it a more tightly contested series. I think then, um, obviously, you know, you lose that aspect. Yeah, now it's just going to be coming down to doubling James Harden. So yeah, um, who, who do you bet? If you had to bet I, on someone. I would take the Thunder now. I take the Thunder. I think West, Russell Westbrook is a difference maker. I think he's been, like, outside of Harden, the best, you know, one of the best players. Like, I think if he, if Harden, you know, you, you, it's kind of funny to imagine this, but if you imagine, like, the Rockets without Harden, like, you could, you could honestly make a case for, like, uh, Westbrook being, like, about, like, an MVP. Like, they kind of have, it's, it is true. They do have, like, two MVPs on that team. Mm-hmm. You know, Russell Westbrook's playing his best basketball. So, yeah, I think I might take the Thunder. Max? I still don't understand the Thunder. Um, <laughs> I They're the strangest team I think I've ever just... I'm a, I'm a big depth chart guy. I'm a big just, like, name guy. If I'm always skeptical of basically people that were previously NBA nobodies suddenly getting a ton of minutes and performing well, especially in the playoffs. And the Thunder are going to be relying a lot on a, on guys like Lou Dort and Terrence Ferguson and Darius Baisley. And I, I don't know. It's They're strange because on paper and in the beginning of the season, they weren't projected to be good, and somehow they are. If that's Billy Donovan, that's great. If it's Chris Paul, that makes sense. But I still just... I. I just can't look at that roster and say that they get out of the first round, no matter who they're playing, because I don't I don't know. I haven't watched enough of them in person. I know that Shea Gilgis Alexander's good. I've almost never seen him play though. It's yeah. weird. He doesn't have highlights. He doesn't like I don't know. He's like one of the quietest hyped players. You know? Like everyone says that he's really good. I don't know what he's good at. What's yeah. his deal? You, you never know? see SGA highlights, but he's definitely supposed like he's the most valuable piece on that team. Yeah, and it's like, is he a ball handler? Because Chris Paul's already that. Is he a shooter? I don't know. Is he a defender? I don't know. Like I don't know what his specialty is or if he has one. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Maybe I just haven't seen them enough, but the matchup with the Rockets is interesting because what the Thunder do have a lot of is defenders they have andre roberson they have dort and um i i mean like they they can play small ball really easily if they want to mm-hmm. i think gallo could play the five and torch pj tucker and um he would be what they he's i mean he's not as good of a defender but he's twice the shooter and he's two inches taller and he's probably just as athletic 
Yeah. So it's definitely I don't the, know. It's the battle of the weird lineups. It'll be a yeah interesting series. I would, I would like Steven Adams to just completely feast on them, but I know that's not going to happen because every coach just panders to the Rockets' style. So he'll either have a monster series or he'll barely play at all. So yeah, yeah there's going to be something weird going on. I don't know how much Chris Paul will have in the tank against someone as high energy like Harden or uh, Westbrook if he comes back. And I don't know if I've seen enough SGA for him and like a Steven Adams to lead a team in the playoffs. So I would still take the Rockets on my end. Without Westbrook, I th- it's so close because the Rockets really don't have the depth to fix that. I you don't think... believe in Austin Rivers? No. So I think I did yeah. the Thunder, but with Westbrook, even if they can have Westbrook for, you know, like I'd say Thunder in seven if they don't have Westbrook for the whole series. If they get Westbrook back at all, it's the Rockets. Battle yeah, of the that's, weird lineups. That's the, my thing is like that whole offense works because you have Harden playing the perimeter, you have Westbrook in the low post, and you have shooters all around the arc. Mm-hmm. Like you have, you well, have your got Covington. Facing. Hmm? Covington can take the post too. He can, but he's not going to be as good of a distributor in terms of kicking the ball out, um, you know, to open shooters. Like he's obviously not, he's no Russell Westbrook. Yeah. So I feel like that's an aspect like now, like now what does like, what does this uh, Rockets, you know, offense even look like? Like they look like I could, you, you know, you could relate them to almost like the pre-CP3 years, like in 2017, uh, like when they had Capella, but now they don't have Capella. Now they don't have that rebounding big. Now they just, I mean, obviously they've been able to make it work with small ball, but you don't have that that pick-and-roll threat anymore. They got and rid of now, Capella like, this season. now what's left is just kind of a lot of James Harden ISO and more of the same sort of drive and kick. Yeah, I was going to say, you know exactly what this offense is going to look like. It's going to be James Harden bringing up the ball and pulling up for three or driving. And, and that's it. The Thunder Before have it enough Westbrook fast guys to cover most of them. I think they have a the Thunder have a real, you know, it's not a terrible matchup for them. They they have yeah, I think Paul Schroeder, SGA, yeah. Dort, Ferguson, they're all perimeter defenders, I guess. Yeah. But uh Let's move over to the East. We got the one-seeded Bucks in a matchup that I think we're pretty confident is going to go seven games against the Magic. Home court advantage, baby. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, no, the this Bucks... one would be an easy. Honestly, it was a damn shame that the the Nets, as constructed, outperformed the Magic, and Our... yeah, that re- that really says something about this team. Is like. I mean, their record is just as good as someone over in, like, the uh, the Grizzlies and the Blazers. Like, they're around that many wins and stuff, but, I mean, come on. Like, they, I think, what was their record in the bubble? Like, two and five or something? Like, they weren't that good. Jonathan Isaac went down, but even when he was there, he wasn't making that much of a difference. He's a good defender, but they don't know how to use him. They can't play him and Gordon together. It doesn't work. And then they're relying on Vucevic and Evan Fournier, and it's not a winning formula. And I feel like this isn't there isn't much more to talk about because I feel like the Bucks have every single advantage imaginable. I think they're blowing up this team after the sweep. 
the the magic. Yeah. Yeah, they've so they're trying Mo Bamba's on the block. Um, they're trying to get rid of him. Good luck. And <laughs> I don't know if anyone yeah, wants him. Honestly, he's been really bad, and they should have gotten rid of him sooner be- after they realized they were keeping Vucevic. He and... was in the Bagley draft, right? Yes. I knew I had to bite my tongue before I said Bagley was the worst guy taken in the top 10. He still might be the worst guy taken in the top 10 because, like, Mo's shown flashes, but, like, it's those two that just— Bagley's shown more flashes, though. Yeah. Bagley, at least when he is on the court, averages like 12 or 14 points a game. Mo is like seven, and he's like seven foot three, and he shoots like 30% from the field. It's atrocious. And uh, I don't know. They're, so I think him, he's probably gone. One of Isaac or Gordon are gone. I think they'll, I guess, give the keys to Fultz at the point and let Augustine walk. Um. Are they yeah, ready to I give can... the keys to Fultz, though? There aren't many other options. I mean, you can only hide him as, like, your pseudo-starter kind of backup for so long. He's looked better. Yeah. Um, I think uh, he shouldn't be the focal point of their offense, though. I think if they could try to... I don't know if trading Vucevic is the solution. He's been their only all-star for a long time. I think you could get something really good for, like, Isaac and Gordon, though. And, yeah, I also agree. It's probably time to uh, shift it up because they've been running it back for, like, the past, like, three years now, and they haven't really done much. Yeah. So, next, there's not much to say about that series. It's a buck sweep. Giannis is going to look great. Every they're gonna, He's probably going to still play reduced minutes. Whatever. Next up, we got Nets... Raptors. This I feel like is another sweep, but the Nets have shown to be kind of scrappy. What do you, David? What do you think on that one? Um, I think like I think the scrappy Nets will be like the scrappy Nets that faced that first round matchup against the Sixers. I what was it last year or two years ago? Last year. Last year. So I I don't I don't feel like you know maybe they'll make it interesting and push it five. Maybe they'll make it six. But I don't feel like the rap like the Raptors are taking care of business. You know they they're experienced. They know how to win. And I feel like they're not going to give too much. You know they're not going to let this kind of take. You know I I don't feel like it's going to be too much of an issue for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's I I predict a sweep, but. Just because they're missing, you know, Durant wasn't in the team the whole year, and then Irving, whatever. But they had a lot of guys opt out before that, too. And the team's... Wilson hmm? and, and DJ. Wilson yeah. Chandler, DJ. Uh, were those the only two? Oh, Dinwiddie. Yeah, it's just... Cherish this time that they're bad, because they're going to be a nightmare going forward. Yeah, really. That I heard a thing... Some actual reporter said, what should Pop do? Like, rebuild the Spurs, uh, retire, or coach the Nets. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, no. people are, I know, it was, it's an insane take. But like, Was it Nick Wright? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I, I would be naming him. I'd be calling him out. No, it was some, like, beat reporter or something. Just, But it was a bold claim for sure that Pop would go over there. But it does seem like the Nets must be a very... Like, I, I wonder how many other people are going for this coveted spot to instantly become a contender. Oh, yeah. They're going to be so scary. I I hope that it doesn't work between 
Kyrie and KD, but I have a sinking feeling that it will, and it'll be really bad. Yeah. So, I think the the Bucks need to get get it done this year before they get a real threat. Yeah, it's yeah. The East will be fun next year, though. Next year, if everyone's staying healthy, like. Yeah, I only look at it from you know Celtics' interest, and it feels like, man, we should we had to have landed some superstar, and we didn't. So Tatum, pressure's on, my man. Yeah, think about it next year, like. I think you imagine the Nets, like you'd have the same playoff teams except probably maybe like the Bulls instead of the Magic. And like that would be a pretty cool slate. Like then you would have what, like the Sixers or the Pacers being like a seven seed? That's a really deep conference at that point. Yeah, very. Or the I, it's or something like that would that'll be and the Heat'll still be good probably like the East could be better than the West next year. I think so. I think that's where we're headed. Um, I would predict the East to be better. But let's, I guess, brief note on the Raptors. Like, they're good. They might have a little bit of a ceiling, but their defense could take them past that ceiling. They're championship-level defense. Their offense is fine. Uh, there's, there's not that much to say about them till we actually see them, you know, in playoff action. Uh, yeah. They're... It All it does is it, it reinforces how good last year's team was because yeah. it's like this exact same team plus Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. Mm-hmm. Like that's how crazy it was. And I think that's one thing that we learned this year was like, Oh, this is how good this team is without Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't do anything to replace them really. So um, they just upgraded on and Van Vliet to starters. Mm-hmm. And then they didn't really fill out their bench after that. Ibaka, like Norm Powell are kind of like the only guys that come off the bench for them. And I think that's what it goes to show. I think Siakam's gotten better. Lowry's kept it up. And yeah, I think they're a threat still. Now to the series that's important to us, Boston Celtics versus Philadelphia 76ers. The Sixers are without Ben Simmons for the playoffs. That could either help them or hurt them. I like to view this matchup. Now, I think the Celtics are going to win. The evidence against me is that Philly has swept us during the season. So it could go either way. Um, I feel like, though, those wins, like Simmons has finally figured out Brad Stevens' way of guarding him, you know, putting someone like Marcus Smart. And I feel like he's finally, like, in those games, you can see that he kind of figured out, you know, how to play the ball, who to pass to and kind of figuring out, like, the zones that we threw against him. You know, especially now that he added a three-point shot, I feel like he was definitely the most lethal part of those matchups. I don't feel like Embiid has been, you know, obviously the Celtics don't really have someone that's a good cover for him. They kind of have a rotating slew of centers that they could probably throw at them and just, you know, grab a bunch of fouls. But I don't, I, I feel like that Simmons was kind of the key to them being successful. And I feel like now that he's gone, you just kind of have Embiid surrounded by a bunch of shooters. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know what their ball handling situation looks like outside of, like, trusting Matisse Thibel, mm-hmm. um, which who has been good, but, you know, I, it'll be... Simmons, yeah. the, I think the key here is that they needed Simmons' defense against Brown, Tatum, those guys. They needed someone there for that. Thibault's going to have to step up big time. The, and, and I don't think they swept us. I think we won We won one game. 
this this season i wasn't yeah. sure because i know they they had us even last season on the season series but yeah there was a there was that like game where we blew them out where every like play was like a highlight reel where like you know like wanamaker dunked on on beat uh tatum dunked on horford you're right you're right you're right yeah the last game we played we did win but before that they had us beat every game that's right brad wanamaker did dunk on Embiid. good times got tech for for taunting good for you brad so the most interesting thing i see to come out of it in my opinion is if the celtics win this series i say they fire brett brown they move on it's not necessarily his fault that they lose but it's his fault that the sixers underachieved all season that will be kind of the final icing on the cake is that if the Celtics win this series convincingly, or just win it at all, Brett Brown's done. Now, if the Sixers win this series, I think Ben Simmons is gone. If they prove that they can get past a very competent and our top three team in the East without Simmons, they want to go get another piece that can actually supplement that team for Simmons. So I think Simmons is gone if they win the series. That's a good point. They could get a lot for him too. Yeah, so I that that's the did, thing I'm watching for. Cavs? Did you see the Cavs said that they had an enticing package for Ben Simmons? <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. I was like, oh, can't wait to see Colin Sexton on the Sixers championship team. Mm-hmm. That'll be worth it. Yeah, or or maybe they throw in uh, Andre Drummond and just have Drummond and Embiid on the same team. And Horford, God. Yeah, so this year this Philly won the first. Yeah, so it's three to one on the series. I just went back and double checked that. I completely forgot about that one game that we we did end up getting the win in. Um, yeah, so it's not a super exciting series without Simmons. Probably good for us. Um, Celtics in six is my pick, I guess. Maybe five, five or six. I agree with that. I hope it's I hope it's as short as possible because they've been the closest thing to Boston's rival kind of yeah. throughout this time, and it'd be pretty sweet to get them done pretty fast, no matter what injuries or asterisks there are on it. And lastly, we have Pacers Heat. Now, something that was funny to me about this is the Pacers and the Heat played each other twice in their last three games, uh, and you'd think those games would matter. Because, you know, oh, who's the four seed? Who's the five seed? It's so irrelevant because we're in Orlando. It literally doesn't matter. So they kind of mailed it in both times. The one thing was, I think, everyone wanted to see if Jimmy Butler could lock down TJ Warren, which he did. Who do you pick on this series? I think Miami has their number, honestly. David? Like, if, if Jimmy can lock him down. Yeah, no, I feel like, I feel like this will be... Um, you know, I, I think this will be good for the the Heat because I feel like the Heat and Pacers are pretty they're they're equally matched in terms of talent. I I, I could consider, you know, they have someone like an Oladipo and a Butler, and then a lot of really 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 good supporting cast like Sabonis, like Adebayo, like TJ Warren, like um, trying to think uh, like Duncan Robinson, like just like a lot like Kendrick Nunn, like a lot of good you know, small piece guys. And I think this will be, I think, um, you know, it could be, it could be a battle of the coaching because I feel like, you know, you have two pretty good coaches in McMillan and Spolstra 
and you have these, you know, not necessarily star level players going at each other. And I feel like this will be like an interesting matchup from a coaching perspective. Yeah, I think I take Spolster in that matchup, but I do think they both have very good coaches. Yeah, I do think the Heat, though, will win, but it will be close. I think it will be like six games. Six games? Yeah, yeah, it sounds... Yeah, I could see it go six or seven. Definitely a, a close matchup before one of them gets stomped by the Bucks. I'd rather the Heat win because I think they match up better with the Bucks because they're a more physical team, and physical teams usually beat out the more talented teams or have a better chance. That's, true. That's a very good point. Yeah, the Heat are a, a weird... They're just a tough team to beat in general. That's kind of all I have to say about them. I mean, Bam Adebayo is an intriguing idea on a Giannis stopper. You know, he's kind of that perfect size. And then they have a lot of other defenders, too. They have Jay Crowder and uh, Iguodala. So, I yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces there. They're also very wing-heavy, and they're deep, too. Goran Dragic and Tyler Hero come off the bench, and Kelly Olenek. So, um, they're definitely intriguing. And I think the, the Pacers, you know, they're solid. They are what they are, but I don't think they're going to blow anyone away so i would definitely also take the heat i think the pacers have a slightly higher ceiling you know it, they have so much talent that if all of them play to their peak like i don't think they're playing at at their ceiling now they're not oladipo's not back to his normal form there's a lot of guys with a lot of potential that could be rocket or raptors i mean raptors level of a team but they haven't been and i don't expect it from them they have more talent than the Heat overall, but the Heat have been playing better than them. So I'll take the team that's been playing better. Yeah. Uh, now that we've wrapped up our playoff preview, we're going to head over to an extra long segment, a special segment of David's details to celebrate the Spurs dynasty. Yes. So to this year marks the end of a 22-year span of the Spurs making the playoffs. So that means they made their first postseason when Michael Jordan won her last ring. And they finished their, they had their most recent postseason when the Raptors won. So that just gives you a span of time. You know, that's 22 years. That's a lot of, that's a lot of games in between. And I'm, I have prepared 22 facts detailing about each postseason. Uh, or just, you know, a fact that relates, you know, just about the team, something I found interesting in my research. So, number one, for the 1998 season, this was Pop's first full year as head coach. Everyone thinks that this is his first year, but he took over coaching halfway through the season and finished, I believe, 22-40 and 40, uh, or something like that, 19, or something, something around those lines in 1997. Uh, but with his first full year and also Tim Duncan's first full year, this means that Pop and Tim Duncan uh, played every single year of their career in the postseason. So I thought I thought that was like a good way to start out. You know, they lost to the eventual champion Utah Jazz in the second round. Um, but yeah, no. Hmm? The Western Conference champion, right? Yes, Western Conference champion. That's good. Good distinction. <laughs> So, um, in 1999, so it's kind of very interesting, you know, we watched the last dance, you know, we heard, you know, about Michael Jordan and his teammates, um, 
you know, it was interesting. It's always interesting for at least for me to think about how the Jordan Bulls transition into the Spurs and Lakers dynasty sort of deal. And interestingly enough, on the 1999 championship team, it featured one man that showed up in that last dance documentary, Bill Perdue, four-time champion Bill Perdue. Uh, he actually won, so he won the title with the Spurs and became one of five former Jordan Bulls to win a title after winning with Michael, so not before. And the question is, can you name the four other players that won a title after winning one with Jordan? Well, there's another one that was on the 99 Spurs. Kerr, right? Steve Kerr. No, he was not on the 99 Spurs. He joined in the 1999 to 2000 season. No, he was. No, he was not. Like, are you cha- are you fact? Yeah, let's you? all right. Let's take it. Yeah, let's take it to the to the basketball reference. How do you know that he wasn't there in 98, 98 and ninety nine? Because I have it pulled up. He was only yeah, there. David's, yeah, David's saying he was there from ninety nine to two thousand. Hugh. Oh, I'm oh, saying he was there ninety eight, ninety nine. He, I got mistaken. He joined this. He left the Spurs in 01. He had a short stint with them. Yeah. Granted, in the '99 season, I did not see that. That's something I was overlooked in my research. Wow. Steve, but he won a ring, right? So he's won. Yeah, a, he, he won he, a ring with them. Can you? Okay, so can you name the? I guess then, outside of uh, Steve, uh, Steve Kerr and Bill Perdue, can you name the three other Bulls? Uh. So they they played with Jordan ever. What are we saying here? He won a championship with Jordan and yeah. then won another championship elsewhere. Okay. Afterwards. Um, I know. All right. I have one in my head, but let me try to think of the other two. Why don't you just say the one in your head? Horace Grant. Yep. That's one. All right. And then. Okay, Horace. That's tough. I. Hmm. Is it Luke Longley? No. After mm-hmm. being with the Bulls. So. Scott Burrell. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. I'll give you. I'll give you a big hand. All so you named. Uh, so there's three other players. They all won titles with the Lakers. They all did. Okay. So, uh, um, uh, man. Oh, oh, uh, Ron Harper. Yep, that's number two. Oh, and number three. Number three is going to be very, very hard because he was he retired after the '96 season, and then he came back in 2000 to. Win one more ring with the Lakers. Wow! I he actually know. is a four-time champion. So he won. I'll give. Maybe this will give you some more hints. He won two titles with the Pistons. Rodman? Nope. Oh, that's tough. Uh, two titles with the Pistons. So he was on the Bad Boys. Mm-hmm. Dumars. I, I I'll give you this one because this one <laughs> this one is a little less known. It's John Sally. Oh, okay. Ah, John Sally. I see. Yep. I was going to say, won. I didn't think Dumars left the Pistons ever, so, yeah. Right. Okay, so that's the, uh, so it's actually interesting. So Bill Perdue, by the way, in that uh, postseason, he averaged more fouls than points. <laughs> nice. He averaged 1.6 fouls and 1.1 points, so. Yep. All right, so now for 2000. So this year they lost actually in the first round to the Phoenix Suns led by Penny Hardaway. Right. Um, this actually featured the only time in a 10-year span where, you know, going from 99, 98 to 2008, 
where they didn't, where they lost to the eventual uh, either champions or Western Conference champions. Like they they lost to a finalist. So they this was the year they didn't do that. Yep, this is the only year in ten years. Was they was either, Marbury on to, that team? Hmm? Was that Stephon Marbury? I think so, and I think uh, Sean Marion was on that team as well. I mm -hmm. believe, like young Sean Marion. Fun team. Um, all right, so now we move on to 2001. So this was the first time that the uh, that San Antonio had lost to the Lakers. You know that will become uh, a theme later on. <laughs> it actually features this this that series where they got swept features the worst uh, loss ever during that run where they lost by 39 points in the last game and had the worst non-zero th non three-point percentage at 8.3. They were one for 12 the entire game as a team. Nice. Jeez, that sounds like a James Harden stat line, one for 12. Yeah. That's like how much a player shoots in a game now, not an entire so, game. I was going to say, I feel like the Spurs take about that many threes still. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, for 20... For 2002 and 2003, I kind of featured Tim Duncan because he was the MVP at those times, two-time MVP Tim Duncan. So in 2002, despite, you know, this is actually really fascinating that I found, despite both outscoring Kobe and out-rebounding Shaq, he ended, they ended up losing the series in, I believe, five games. It's almost like he needed uh, some... Some help, South Americans some and Europeans to come give him some help, yeah. Exactly. He had, but just to put numbers in perspective, he had he averaged twenty nine points for the series versus Kobe's twenty six, and he averaged eighteen rebounds to Shaq's twelve. Force of nature. That's insane. I never, you know, it's always uh, something I never realized after researching this was how prolific of a rebounder he was in the beginning part of his career. Always got to box out. So for 2003, this was just a very interesting stat line from his win over the Nets. He actually uh, is one of the few players in finals history to almost have a quadruple double. In game six, he had 21 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists, and eight blocks. I watched in that game. A, in a closing game, a closeout game against the Nets, which I thought was just really, really impressive. Hugh, you said you watched that game? Not live, but I went back and watched that yeah, game. Yeah, I was going to say, were you four years old? Yeah, no, I watched that later on. Actually, just during COVID, um, I watched that whole series. But that game specifically stood out because he was... It, it's so quiet. It was such a quiet... Like, the announcers were getting excited for him, getting all... Mm -hmm. Like, patting these stats. But it was it's just so quiet how he does it. That's what, that's what stood out to me. I'm right. What? They still had Robinson at this time, right? In 03? When did Robinson Yes, yes they did. did he okay. had, I think he retired after 03. So, for 2004, uh, there wasn't too much interesting going on. They lost to the Lakers again, you know, who uh, eventually lost to the Pistons. But um, I just wanted to say that in that series, uh, former Knicks guard Charlie Ward uh, of the Spurs led the team against the Lakers in both usage rate while having the least amount of minutes, which I thought was hilarious. It was just maybe some sort of blown up stat because he only played in garbage time, but 
just an interesting stat, never, no, uh, nevertheless. That's yeah. the Knicks away. <laughs> yep. And so in 2005, uh, they beat the Pistons in seven games. Uh, during this entire run, I just wanted to add a note that they were actually three and three in, in game seven series. So they were not necessarily clutch in the in the in that sense. Yeah, interesting to point out. Definitely. So uh, and then in two thousand six, uh, this was a year where they lost to the Mavericks in what is actually considered one of the greatest playoff series ever. Um, it went to seven games, uh, and then you know, speaking of game sevens, and Tim Duncan had a forty-one rebound, forty-one point uh, ten rebound performance, uh, and in that game seven, basically clawed San Antonio back in that game to force overtime, where the Spurs ended up losing by a couple points. Uh, throughout that series, Duncan averaged thirty-two, twelve, and four. Tony Parker averaged 24 and 3, and Ginobili actually averaged 24, 4, and 2 with three steals. Filthy. Yeah, Tim Duncan led, stat his, line was yeah, ridiculous. Led, led in points, rebounds, assists, and blocks, while Ginobili led in steals. Mm -hmm. So now we move on to 2007, and one interesting uh, note from their final sweep of LeBron and the Cavs is that Tony Parker actually averaged more points than LeBron during that entire series. Wow. That really? Yeah. So who is who's the leading scorer for the Cavs in that series? It, it was LeBron. It, he only yeah. averaged 22 points while Parker averaged 24.5. 24.5 for Parker in the series. Look, yep. I'm underrating this, is, this man. This yeah, year, really. this was the year that he won Finals MVP for the very first and only time. Yeah. Wow. Good for him. Good for Tony. So, and then two thousand. Sorry. Oh, de the definite Hall of Famer. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. So in two thousand eight, that marks the last time that they lost to the Lakers in the postseason. Uh, during the twenty-two year run, they were an overall three and four, uh, playing them seven times, only winning three. Uh, and they're one of two teams that have had a losing post record, postseason record against. And can you name the other team they have, the only other team they have a losing post uh, postseason record? Uh, the Mavericks? Nope. The Mavericks, I believe they are, I want to say, five and, five and two. Do they have to be a Western Conference team? It is a Western Conference oh, team. Oh, get, it's wait, more can, I, can I try? I have, a, yes. I have an idea. Is it the Clippers? Nope. They only played the Clippers once. And they won? Max of the Suns? Nope, not the Suns. Uh, I'll give you oh, recently. It's, it's the Warriors. Yeah, it's the Warriors. Yes. There we go. The oh. Warriors, they are one and two. And so I obvious. just thought that was really interesting that, that that's the, those are the only teams they have a losing game record to. And they only are one game away from 500 for both those teams. Oh, sweet. It's not a series record? It's a game record? Yeah. Sorry, oh. series record. Sorry. Series. series. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, 2009. Not too very interesting, uh, other than this This was the rookie year of one Anthony Tolliver. Yeah! Where, <laughs> where halfway through the season, he was waived. Oh. 
As a rookie? Yeah, that type of thing. As a rookie. That's where his eyes started to get sad. Mm-hmm. He was waived in January uh, of that year, and they didn't have too much of an exciting postseason. Uh, Wait, was he, a, was he a spur? Yes, he was. He began his career as a spur. Wow. And they waived him. They took away his soul. Yeah, instantly. Uh, I wonder if he still gets invited to the Pops dinners. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So in 2010, they had a season series uh, where George Hill had a historically bad game, a historically bad series. They lost to the Suns in four. They got swept. One of the few times they actually got swept in the second round. Um, And George Hill had a career worst in a series minus 54. He was starting the first, he was their starter throughout the entire regular season and was benched for the last two games in the playoffs. Was he at the two? I believe, um, I think he was starting, right? So he was the starter for next to Parker, probably? Yes. So then Ginobili would have been the sixth man at this point. Yep. Okay, interesting. So, yeah, no. So that's 2010. Uh, 2011, so they lost to the Grizzlies in six games. Um, This is actually the only time out of the five meetings that they had where the Grizzlies actually won. Memphis. Yeah. Uh, in 2012, they had one of the most stranger postseason records. So they won four straight against the Jazz, four straight against the Clippers, and two, games one and two of the Thunder. But then something fell apart in game three, and they lost four straights. They went 10 and four. Yeah. So that that was 2020, which, which year? 2012. That's what I thought. Yeah. The. That's why I thought they might have the losing record against the Thunders because of that series. But, yeah, that was rough. Mm-hmm. I, was, so, I was heavy rooting for the Spurs back then. So in 2013, everyone remembers the, that, those finals. And, uh, and one underrated aspect about those finals was the amount of flopping you know, in, in going on in the league at the time. You had guys like Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, you know, Lance Stevenson. All like that was a showcase. I remember of the 2013 uh, playoff playoffs, and despite and despite that, the Spurs had the lowest fouls per game in their entire 22 year span at 19.1 per game. They always said that Tony P- Parker flopped a lot too. That's very true. So the Spurs were fouled the least or committed the least fouls? Committed the least fouls in that span, 19.1 fouls. Yeah. That's Kawhi Leonard for you. Yeah. And so for 2014, obviously they beat the Heat in five games, a revenge tour sort of. Uh, you know, they kind of they, they coasted through the Western Conference in lieu of a uh, gentleman's sweep. Um, and I just thought this was very interesting to note. This is actually the only championship where Mike Budenholzer was not involved in. He was he was the he was an assistant all that time before this. Yeah, he was an assistant from '98 to 2012. Where do you, do you know where he went after that? The Hawks. I believe he went That's to the right, Hawks. The Hawks, right, right. Yeah. Wow. So he has some rings. Four. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. So uh, in 2015, they lost in a seven-game series to the Clippers. Um, this was an interesting thing to add. Duncan had one of his best years in terms of points and effective field goal percentage, but this was also Tony Parker's worst playoff performance by far, uh, getting last in field goal percentage, three-point percentage, and even free-throw percentage. He just was not shooting the ball well. Chris Paul. Yeah, Chris Paul's uh, allude to Chris Paul's defense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 2016, they lost in six games to the Thunder. There was obviously that la- late game uh, uh, conflict between um, who was it? I believe it was um, it was someone coming back from the the Thunder, uh, where there was an inbounds play that basically led the the a scramble for the ball where the Thunder ended up winning. And everyone remembers that series as being uh, Tim Duncan's last, you know, last couple games with the Spurs. But did you know that that series actually also featured some of the last games of the career of Andre Miller? Oh, the, known, yeah, back the uh, third string point guard Andre Miller uh, played his final games in that series. I believe in Game One during their thirty-point blowout of the Thunder. Um, but yeah, no, very interesting. You know, he had a pretty good career in Denver, had a pretty good career in Portland. I believe uh, he's and then top, finally, I think he's top 10 in assists. Oh yeah. No, very top, 20, top 10, something like that. Very prolific, uh, you know, distributor. Okay. So now we move on to 2017, which this was the last time that the Spurs got to the conference finals and the last time they didn't. This is actually the last time they won a any sort of playoff series. Sad. And and featuring in this in this playoff run, you know, obviously everyone remembers the Zaza injury, or yeah, I guess more the Kawhi Leonard injury involving Zaza. Uh, but in that first in that second round matchup in with the Rockets, they actually had their largest margin of victory during that twenty two year span with a thirty nine point win over the Rockets. Sounds right. Yeah, Rockets basketball. Yeah, so it's interesting. So in 2001, they had their worst loss of 39 points, and in 2017, they had their best win of 39 points. That just speaks to, you know, Pop constantly being able to retool and recharge and not have a real decline. They were they were always... I felt like every team was from, I'd say, from 99 to... 2014 it felt or 2017 it felt like any of those teams could be their best team you know they had the potential to be yeah no certainly um so if you look so now we move on to 2018 this was parker and ginobili's last years with the spurs uh it featured a round one loss a gentleman sweep the warriors uh committed on the spurs um, and actually, this had their lowest margin of victory for a postseason series ever with a minus 44 points. Now, this one was done without Popovich, right? I don't remember, actually. I'm I not sure. I believe he wasn't present for those playoffs. Huh. I didn't, that's something I didn't know in my research. Interesting. There something with his wife or something that yeah, he she, left the team she, for a while? She passed away. Yeah. I think who was taking over at that time was it? I don't remember, but uh, it's it's one of his long times. Hor- I think it was that Hornets coach, uh, James Borrego, I think, actually took over for a little bit. Hmm. Something like that. 
Well, regardless, now we move on to the last year of the Spurs' playoff run. Uh, in 2019, they lost in seven to the Nuggets. And on that team, can you name the two championship Spurs that were left? Manu Ginobili. Nope. He was gone the year before. Shoot. Patty Mills. Yes, that is one. Bellinelli. And that is the other. Wow. Yeah. Hopped right up on that. Yeah, Bellinelli has a tattoo of the Larry O'Brien trophy on his shooting arm. I'll never forget that he has a <laughs> ring with him. What a guy. Oh, Bellinelli. He's cooking so up. So that concludes that concludes the twenty two my twenty two facts and the twenty two year postseason run of the Spurs. Good All job, right. Spurs, and good job, David. Great job, David. That was a great list. I learned a lot. Did you know that Mills and Bellinelli are still on the team this year? I did know that, yeah. They're the only ones that have a ring that are. And then Tim's an assistant coach. Tiago Splitter is a player development guy in the Nets. I don't know what Tony Parker and Ginobili are up to. Um, but they're all over the place. Kawhi's on the, the Clippers. Yeah, and then there's the whole coaching tree of Mike Budenholzer and Steve Clifford, James Borrego. Uh, there's a bunch of them. Uh yeah. Most some of the most successful coaches in the NBA right now are all proteges of Greg Popovich in that system. So there's still a, yeah. a legacy that'll live on for a while, I think. And he's now the uh, the men's team, the national, the U uh, U.S. men's team's coach. Yeah, he has been for a while. It he just took over like a couple years ago, two two three years ago maybe. It was uh, Shashevsky before him for most oh, of yeah. the 2000s. Yeah. So he'll have his chance to win, uh, you know, gold as a head coach coming up next year's Olympics, I guess. Do you think this is his last year, though? I don't know. David, what do you think? You've been looking into him. Do you think this is Pop's last year? Um, I don't know. I don't know what his uh, mentality is on a rebuilding team. Obviously, he's never been a part of one, so uh, I, it's kind of uncharted territory for him. Uh, I think he'll try to stay. It depends because he is getting really, really old. So he may just start to slowly let. Um, who's their assistant head coach? The, Becky the Hammond. Coach? Hammond. Yeah, I think Hammond will slowly join. You know, I think we'll slowly start to take over more games. You know, you've been seeing that a couple times where she's just been doing just the, like, you know, coaching the bubble games here and there. Um, I think it'll be kind of like a slow transition over this year and next, but I don't think he's done yet. I'd like to see Tim Duncan take over and be the next coach. That's my hope for the Spurs, but we'll see. If he wants that, though. Yeah, if knows? he wants like, it. Which I think, you, you, to me, if you're a millionaire like Tim Duncan, you don't become an assistant coach without some aspirations of being a head coach. I don't know. He might have just done it to hang out with Pop more. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Be, be around basketball. Yeah, but maybe. I, Popovich and like Patty Mills might have been like kind of his only draw to it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so here we go into the playoffs for the first time in 22 years without the Spurs, and yeah, all it took was a pandemic to stop them. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm excited. You guys ready for the playoffs? Yeah, this has been the past first podcast with Hugh, Max, and David. If you'd like to watch us live on Saturday mornings, you can watch us at twitch.tv slash passfirstpodcast. And you can see when we go live by following us on Twitter at passfirstpod. We 
upload each of our episodes on Fridays, but we're trying to push it back in the week. But you'll you'll be able to see our stuff, get notifications if you follow us on Spotify or uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And we'll be back with a special guest. Keep that in the air who it might be. But we have a guest coming up with our next live show, which actually is on Friday rather than Saturday this week. I'm excited. Have a great week, everyone. Enjoy the playoffs.